Right now, our knowledge is partial knowledge, but one day God will give us full knowledge, a greater understanding of things. And although Paul was a learned man, he was not worried about the amount of knowledge that someone had because he understood that it was not about how much knowledge we have, but by whom we are known. Therefore, our knowledge of spiritual things should actually lead us into the love of God. For those who love God are known by Him. And I have to ask you this morning, do you love God? Are you known by God? Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it says, Don't be a stumbling block. That's what I titled this message today. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that In chapters 1 through 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul had addressed various issues that had come up to his attention, either by letter or personal contact. But we learn that in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul had actually written a previous letter to the Corinthians. And I believe that the Corinthians responded back to Paul's letters with questions of their own. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul began his responses to those questions actually dealt with the issues of marriage, singleness, and divorce. And here in chapter 8, Paul teaches the Corinthian believers that they should conduct themselves with the newfound knowledge that they had already obtained through their faith in Jesus Christ. So today's message, don't be a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13, and I broke it down into three points. Love versus knowledge, verses 1 through 3. Things offered to idols, verses 4 through 6. And you are not what you eat, verses 7 through 13. Let's go ahead and get into God's Word. Love versus knowledge. In verse 1, it tells us that we all have knowledge. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Before dealing with the things offered to idols, Paul wanted to talk to their believers about, well, the knowledge that they had already obtained through their faith in Jesus Christ. He said, now concerning the things offered to idols, this was the question that was in reference to here. The things offered to idols, referring to that meat 
or the grain, the various offerings that came through the animal sacrifices. I also talked about gnosis, the knowledge that everyone has. We all have knowledge. It is something that Paul recognized, but also he said, knowledge puffs up. There is a danger there with knowledge. Knowledge can puff up. It was actually through the preaching and teaching of God's word that the knowledge of salvation came to the Corinthian believers through faith in Jesus Christ. That is still true to this day, through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Knowledge comes to others that they might be saved. They might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But knowledge can puff up. It means to be puffed up with pride. But love, it is that Greek word for agape. I like to describe it as a giving love that expects nothing in return. Love edifies. This Greek word actually talks about to be a house builder, to build something up. In the New Testament, it refers to edification or to promote spiritual growth in others. And the mature believers in Christ understood that, well, all idols and they were false gods. And the things offered to them could not harm them. But on the other hand, the immature believers in Christ, they were still uncomfortable with eating meat or grain that had been sacrificed to these idols. So Paul begins by reminding the mature Christians that their newfound knowledge should not lead them into pride, but love, which in turn leads to edification. Paul writes about agape love, a famous portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So when I think about an edifying love, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Ephesians, where he said in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Corrupt words are not always cussing and swearing, but also words that belittle or slander others. As believers, our words should build others up, not tear them down. When our words build up others, we actually impart grace to those who are around us. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul put it this way, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer one another. Let your speech always be with grace. Well, in verses 2 and 3, we learn that it's not how much we know. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known of him. Paul reminds us no matter how much knowledge that we might obtain in this life, we still haven't learned everything. He would later write in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 10, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Right now, our knowledge is partial knowledge, but one day God will give us 
full knowledge, a greater understanding of things. And although Paul was a learned man, he was not worried about the amount of knowledge that someone had because he understood that it was not about how much knowledge we have, but by whom we are known. Therefore, our knowledge of spiritual things should actually lead us into the love of God. For those who love God are known by him. And I have to ask you this morning, do you love God? Are you known by God? The way that faith comes through Jesus Christ is that acknowledgement of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John put it this way in 1 John 4:19. we love him because he first loved us. Therefore, the message of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation is not a story of man's groping for God, but God reaching out in his perfecting love toward us. 1 John 4.10, John continues, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So it is not how much we know, but by whom we are known. And I have to ask this morning. Are you known by Jesus Christ today? Oh, yes, I understand that Jesus knows all things, and he knows every person on this earth, whether a sinner or a saint. But what Paul is referring to here is a knowledge of salvation, and that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on to begin to deal now with things offered to idols, verses 4 through 6. In verse 4, he addresses the truth that an idol is nothing. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. The original question may have went something like this, since we don't have the original question that the Corinthians asked. They may have asked Paul by letter saying, should we eat things that have been sacrificed to idols? Paul begins his answer by reminding them of the knowledge that they had already received, that idols, these so-called gods, are nothing. An idol, well, according to this Greek word, it is an object that resembles a person, an animal, a god. The list could go on and on. It is an object of worship. It is an image something that people bow down to. Idols could have been made of silver or gold or other metals of wood or organic materials from rocks of the earth, from things that fell from heaven. A common similarity of idols back in that day, and they were often crafted to look either like a man or a woman or a beast or some distorted form of them. And although these idols could have a mouth, eyes, ears, nose, hands, even feet, they could not speak, could not see, could not hear, could not handle, could not walk. The psalmist understood this in Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. He said, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those that make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. Did you catch that? Although these idols were merely the work of humanity, the psalmist declared that their worshipers became just like the inanimate gods that they worshipped. 
When I think about idol worship, I can still hear Pastor Abraham Mordertakak, a beloved pastor and missionary from India, born in India, who visited our church often. Sadly, Pastor Abraham passed away uh, in January of 2019. But when he was with us, and forgive me for trying to do my best Indian accent here, he would often say, there are 1.2 billion gods in India and 330 million gods. Well, I looked at the population of India today and it's a little bit higher than 1.3 billion people actually, but they still have a multitude of gods. Sadly, mankind continues to worship a multitude of idols. We see it from TV to movie stars, from musicians to athletes, from politicians, and even, yes, pastors. In America, we like, oh, should I say it this way? In America, we love our idols. Well, in verses five through six, he begins to point out, to remind them, really, there is only one God. In verse five, he says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Paul wasn't saying that there wasn't gods that people didn't worship. He said there actually are many of them. What he was saying is that these gods were not true gods. Although Paul acknowledged the world's multitude of gods and lords that they worship, he did not say that these gods did not exist, nor did he say, now get this, nor did he say that they were all the same God. This is something that is being preached today in our nation. I looked this up. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. It was written about a bumper sticker that we often see on the back of cars that says coexist. Every letter in the coexist phrase has a symbol representing a religious system or fallen spiritual ideology. See for the crescent and star representing Islam. O being dotted with the karma well, Buddhism. E as energy in the relativity equation, science. X illustrating the star of David, Judaism. I representing the pentagram, Wicca or paganism. S for the Teo symbol and T for the cross of Christianity. This movement seeks to undermine the personal belief rooted in spiritual absolutes, which tell us, according to the word of God, that there is one God, as Paul is teaching us here, there is one God. The reality that there is God Almighty, that there is one truth found in the Bible itself, that there is one Lord and Savior for all fallen mankind, Jesus Christ himself. Although there are many idols in our world and even in the heavens, Paul reminds us there is only one God. And he goes on to say in verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. God, the Father, is not many gods, but one. God is the object for which everything and everyone has been created. It's all about him and his glory. In Romans eleven thirty six, Paul wrote it this way, For him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. 
Amen. For him and through him and to him. It's all about Jesus. And yet Paul not only mentioned one God, the Father, he also said one Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. We find in our world today that there is this phrase, monotheism. It's the belief that there is only one God, and this belief is found in three basic religions in our world today, that of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And yet there is a difference from our Christian monotheistic faith than the others. When we say that there is one God in our Christian faith, we realize that in the one God are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God, who created this world and all that is in it. After mankind fell into sin, God gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt of our sin. As John 3.16 reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Well, I'll ask you now, have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you asked Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life? Salvation that leads us to God only comes by way of faith through Jesus Christ. Speaking about Jesus Christ in the work of creation, Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created that were created in the heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In the beginning, Jesus was actively involved in the creation of this world, not just toward the earth itself, but the entire universe it doesn't matter what place or position that any of us might have in this world today, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, Jesus Christ is Lord over them all. Jesus Christ is Lord over us all. Without Jesus, in fact, Paul said, everything would fall apart. Did you catch that in Colossians 1.17? He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Without Jesus, everything would just fall apart. And right now, our world seems like things are really falling apart. And we need the foundation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true in our own lives? Isn't it true for the universe itself that the Lord has created and also maintains? Well, the church worships one God in three forms. Just remember this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is one God and one Lord. One God, Paul said, God the Father. One Lord, Paul said, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now he actually gets into the issue now of eating connected with the idols. Back to the original question. Although the question is not written for us here in chapter 8, we can determined that the question had to do with the eating of meat or grain that had been sacrificed to idols. He begins, though, by dealing with maturity again. Paul understood that there are different levels of maturity, and thus in these closing verses he reminded 
the mature in Christ, that they should not become stumbling blocks to others. I, I love this because um, I titled this section, You Are Not, all caps, What You Eat. Because we have often heard people say, you are what you eat, you know. And for me, that would mean I'm, well, this morning it was biscuits and gravy. So <laughs> probably not the best meal, but it was awful tasty. You are not what you eat. In verse 7, some are weak in knowledge. Paul acknowledged this. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as if offered to an idol. Their conscience being weak is defiled. Not everyone has the knowledge that idols are nothing in this world and that there is only one God. They were believers who were still weak in their faith. Paul calls them their brothers. They were believers, though they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were still dealing with and struggling with issues from their past life. It could be that before becoming Christians, many of these weak, conscious believers were familiar with the ritual sacrifice of these false gods. They may have participated in them. Like in Judaism, eating a portion of a sacrificial offering meant that you were having communion with God. And so, same is true in the pagan idol worship. To eat a portion of that meat meant that you were in fellowship with that God. Now, Paul said, those gods are nothing. They don't even exist. They're nothing. And so, how can you have fellowship with something that is nothing? That's what Paul was asking. But the weak Christians, those who had not come to that understanding yet, even though they were no longer offering sacrifices to these idols, a lot of this meat was sold in their meat markets, in the marketplaces, where the meat had first been offered to these idols, and maybe it was the best deal on meat in town. Well, think about this. In Judaism, only the best animals were supposed to be sacrificed to God. So think about this, and I don't know if this was true in the pagan uh, worship as well, but did they also attempt to bring the best that they had when they worshiped their God? We know that both in paganism and Judaism, that's not always true. But it might have not only been the best priced meat in town, it may have been some of the best raised and best fed uh, meat in town as well. Kind of like buying that organic hamburger today versus something that you're not quite sure what has been put into that mix. Well, when they ate the meat, even though they hadn't offered the offering to God, they struggled with the fact knowing that it had been offered to a pagan God. It defiled their weak conscience. They believed that they were being joined again in communion with that idol. In Romans 14, 23, he says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For what is not of faith? from faith is sin. So Paul tells us this actually became sin to them. If they were to eat that meat that had been offered to an idol, and they believed that it was wrong to do so, that they actually were entering into communion with that idol, then it became sin to them. For these weak, conscious believers who had not found a complete freedom in Christ, they condemned their own conscience. They consumed this 
food or this drink. And in their case, their faith in Jesus Christ had not yet freed them from the pagan worship of their past. Now, I know personally many believers who come to faith that they have positionally faith in Jesus Christ. They are saved of their sins, but they are still in bondage of the past works that actually drove them to Christ. The bondage of their past life still uh, causes them to struggle and it becomes sin to them. And I'm not saying that they should continue in the uh, sinful deeds of the past, but they need to come to realization. You need to come to realization that there is freedom in Christ Jesus. The Son of Man sets us free. If any man comes to Christ, he is free indeed. What does free mean to you? Well, if somebody calls you up on the telephone or comes to your door and they're trying to uh, give you something and they say it's absolutely free, I get suspicious, don't you? But the love of Jesus Christ is different than any salesperson that we might have in this world. For the love of Jesus Christ frees us from all sin. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. We'll be right back. 